Welcome to Destination Linux. This is a podcast of opinions made up of four of the greatest minds ever to discuss their passion for Linux. I'm Noah. With me today are my watchmen of Linux, Zeb, Ryan, and Michael. We'll start with Michael. How are you doing this week? I've been doing very good. I've been uh, working on a lot of stuff. There's a lot of things that are coming pretty soon for Destination Linux. I'm not going to announce them right now, but they are coming, so I wanted to point that out. And also... I am happy to announce that during self, I, it, it didn't happen until after we recorded the episode, but I got my 10,000 subscriber on YouTube and this YouTube play button. Whoa! Really? I didn't yeah. know they sent you one for 10,000. A- they don't. It's a it's wood, uh, but they don't. Uh, normally <laughs> they do. You made it? What? what? I don't know. <laughs> He whittles. He whittles so, on the weekend. So there's like, like, like I, should, I should get a play button for ten thousand. Oh, YouTube won't send me one. Screw you! I'll make my own. Exactly. Yep. I thought it would be hilarious, but uh, so like they do like this uh, hundred thousand. They get, is like the, the the first one they give you, and I yeah. was like, yeah, I'm not waiting that long. I want to have a, a silly one, and so it's a. Uh, so like you printed it, yourself off for. <laughs> so it actually, we had it's to a, make it's, our own it's, category it's, in Linux. It's, it's Nobody a three D hundred thousand people. It's a 3D printed uh, play button, 3D printed wood play button, money. And, and it says uh, <laughs> 10,000 subscribers. I love it, Michael. Good for you, man. It's a wondrous It only cost me twenty bucks. So, <laughs> and I think he won't I think buy a camera cover for his camera. No, I do have a camera cover. It's legit. To congratulate yourself. I had a camera recovery. I just I didn't attach it, and I know I'm not doing it to congratulate myself. What, what are you doing? I did it because it's funny. Proof positive is this episode of Destination Linux. You know what we need to do now is order one for Noah. No, yeah. no. I I want one when I actually earn it. I don't want some people. God's sakes, don't listen. We're in Linux. You're never no, 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 going to no, earn a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube doing Linux content. It's I mean, challenge accepted, sir. Accepted. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. We believe in Linux, even if Ryan doesn't. So, Ryan, what non-Linux thing have you been up to this week, Linux later? Well, it's kind of funny you say that because there have been some non-Linux things I've been up to. But first, I want to talk about uh, A5100 Sony. So this is the new Linux setup here using a capture card and the new Sony A5100 mirrorless that I picked up at Best Buy at Self. And Zeb has one as well, and it's working fantastic in Linux there. So... Uh, you don't just have to use a Logitech webcam. OBS oh. and Linux allows you to attach other devices, uh, video cameras, regular cameras to do things like uh, video capture. Which so is- let's be clear about that, though. So the A5100 isn't. It's really it's it's operating system agnostic. It's not compatible right. or incompatible with Linux. It's really the capture hardware that you've connected in between the camera and Linux that's allowing you to be compatible with Linux. Now, you're using a, a, a knockoff Madgewell. Correct. Um, Zeb is using a Camlink, is that right? Yeah, Elgato Camlink, yeah. Yeah, so it's a $99 USB stick. You can pick it up on Amazon.com. Mm-hmm. But both, if I remember right, the, the Camlink will do 60 frames per second, uh, 1080p. The only thing is you can't do other frame rates, right? You're basically, you're locked into that 60, if I remember right. That's, that, I certainly can't change it on mine, yeah. Yeah. So the, if you purchase that, that, uh, that interface, then you're able to use any camera you want. Um, I guess the consensus here is that the 5100 is a particularly good camera to use. Yeah, a lot of live streamers use it. I think it's interesting for people in the Linux community, if you were having a YouTube channel that got to 100,000 subscribers, for instance, you may want to upgrade the camera that you're using or use higher-end um, 
you know, uh, devices. And I think it's neat, even though you're right, this is agnostic. Really, the camera link itself that I'm using is, you know, operating system agnostic. It's just repeating the signal through the USB. And OBS picks that up as a camera and captures it. But there's no additional software in this setup. So you can use the higher end equipment for whatever video production of things that you're doing. Linux is still able to capture it through these interface devices, which is the same thing you would do, by the way, in a Windows setup, you would still create a capture device. The other thing this week I've been messing with is not Linux related. Well, not yet anyways. It is a, I acquired an Apple Mac mini desktop. So this is a little silver like Intel Nook device. And I, what I wanted to do is I was reading some statistics about Mac having 10% of the desktop um, operating system space. And I thought, what is it about Mac OS? I haven't played with it in a long time that they would own 10% in Linux based on the latest stat that I read today is somewhere around one to 3%. So surely they are doing something that's just so incredible over there that makes people want to utilize it. So I started playing around with this little device, which is a 2011, because I wasn't going to spend a lot of money on this. Originally, it was about 900 bucks when you bought this. So it's a little less than eight years old. Uh, the hardware is still very viable. It's you know an Intel i7, 2.7 gigahertz, 16 gigs of RAM. It boots up very fast. Everything seemed to work well until I went to install macOS Mojave, which is their recent operating system out there. And I received a message that said, your hardware does not support this latest operating system. So you can't basically update. And I thought, well, what about security updates and all that stuff? Well, it turns out it's the highest you can go on this device is High Sierra, which they are going to be stopping any security patching for soon, basically forcing their user base to migrate over and buy another $1,100 plus piece of equipment uh, entirely. It was shocking to me. So I hacked the Apple device to make it work with Mojave and it works fine. So there's literally no reason. In fact, it's faster than the High Sierra. There is no reason this device can't run the latest OS. They are just forcing their users, in essence, to migrate their hardware here. And I was also shocked to think that Apple in many ways is considered a green company, right? What do we associate jokingly Apple with like hipsters and, you know, all of that type of stuff that are into the green movements and things like that. Yet basically they're making this piece of equipment completely worthless after eight years, even when the hardware is viable. And what are your first thoughts when you hear this? Well, help us put Linux on it. But why is it Linux dominating here? Why does Mac have 10% of the user um, user space on the desktop when they have the most expensive hardware? The OS can't do half the things that Linux can do. And they basically are forcing you to spend $1,100 for no reason other than they want to. And this was pretty shocking. To me, honestly. Yeah, branding. It's a, it's it, a, it really marketing is and branding. No, is that's, they no, because they care yep. about their users. They care about the user. I mean, they I'm care about their users. They care about their users. Pay attention to their marketing and branding. Yes. They when you purchase a Mac Mini, whoever the original purchaser of that Mac Mini was, they were sold up and down, right and left, backwards and forwards. That no matter what happens to that thing, uh, they will support it. At, they will support that user and that thing as long as that thing is a supportive thing. When that thing is not supported, then you got to spend the premium to buy the next newest thing. But as long as you're on a current thing. 
Mac will continue to support you. Um, and, and I think we have a lot to learn in the Linux world about supporting our users and paying attention to their wants and needs and supporting them throughout the time that they're using whatever platform we invite them to use. So one of our patrons says because they have professional software like Photoshop and Microsoft Office support. Nah, Windows says that. Yeah, very true. I, I've, I was just surprised, honestly, that they would take hardware this viable. And I thought, well, maybe there was something when I installed Mojave that there's you know, they, they updated Mojave so much that it can't run. It would be too slow or things wouldn't work, but that wasn't the case at all. It worked actually better. It's almost a forced migration. And what do you think most people do with their equipment? It surprises me how many people I know tell me, Hey, I'm going to throw my computer away. They throw it in the trash and I'm like, no, give it to me. I'll revitalize the thing. I tell everybody, give me your hardware, but people just throw them in the trash. Mm -hmm. And so you've got the amount of rare natural resources going in to create these things. And then it ends up in the garbage pit somewhere buried. And Apple basically, I don't know, embraces that idea by forcing this migration when this hardware is perfectly still viable or at least another three, four more or more years here to to utilize. And that to me was pretty shocking. But you're right. Well, they do a better job marketing. They do a better job supporting. But when you say supporting, they do stop their support sure. at a certain point because now you're yep. not going to get security patches starting next year for this device. So essentially you have to move or you're insecure. You're, mm -hmm. you're going to have an insecure device. Well, we're very happy that your uh, your Apple journey continues. You went from iPhone <laughs> to Mac. Next, you have a MacBook, maybe an iPad. Pretty soon, you. <laughs> oh, let me get my MacBook. Hold on. Exactly. Exactly. We uh, we all support you and your your quest to become an Apple user. Uh, Zeb, have you done anything? Oh my gosh, Zeb, what have you been diddling with since? Uh, diddly doing. Right. Diddly doing. <laughs> well, it should have been Scooby doing. I've been walking off Waffle House syrup. <laughs> <laughs> I, nice. I have now, probably put on Waffle House. That's how you know you're in the south. Yeah, I've probably <laughs> put on about eight pounds in those five days. It was just absolutely ridiculous. And um, but I've also been doing working on the, finishing off the write up for that fantastic System seventy six Data Pro laptop that I was had the privilege of being asked to check out at self. Um, <laughs> nice. And I think the one thing that hits me is the laptop was that good that I totally forgot mm -hmm. I was running a gnome based. Um, Pop OS and mix. <laughs> wow. Just this works. Just get on with it. It's fantastic. So, yep, that that will be uh, being sent over to System Seventy Six pretty soon. I'm sure. Already, already has. We're just uh, mm -hmm. we're working out the details on on getting it published. But yeah, absolutely. That's very cool. And so you enjoyed it. Is it? Let me ask you this: the million dollar question. Is it something that you would spend your own money on if next time you're in um, next time you're in the market for a laptop? Yes, it's. Although it, although it's a premium, it's a premium that's that's worth paying for. Because as I said in in my in my write up, the way they put the whole thing together and the way they tie it into their software, it just works seamlessly and smoothly and runs really really well. And I think I had one of the higher end specs that they that they do with the i seven and thirty two gig of RAM, and yet it was st still only fifteen hundred dollars. It was astonishing. That's the price that I that I sort of like tapped up on the. Um, and website, and there may have been a couple of other components that I hadn't seen, but for fifteen hundred dollars, that was a shockingly good piece of equipment. Excellent, nice. that's very cool. Okay, so let's move on to the email that we've got this week. Um, it's from Jorkins, and he says, "Hi, Destination Linux. 
been a long time fan or been a fan for a long time. All four of you have really cool vibes. Yeah. I'm a solo metal musician and refuse to use anything but Linux for my studio. Over the years, I've tried every distro and found and accumulated a nice collection of tools and plugins to get my job done. My question for you guys is, I have often heard you all talk about audacity. However, what is your guys' opinion of Ardor? It's my DAW of choice, and the devs always get back to you if you email them. Much love from the UK. So I'll hand this over to the audio files in the team here because I, I play all my stuff on my Logitech speakers, and it sounds great. So give me Logitech <laughs> speakers or £2,000 Bang & Olufsen, and I haven't got a clue about the difference. So over to you guys. What I would say is that Ardour is a very capable, powerful piece of software. It also means that you have to be prepared to start dealing and learning a capable, very powerful piece of software. And because um, the Adobe auditions of the world or the Pro Tools of the world tend to get more attention, those same powerful pieces of software are, quote unquote, easier to use, not because they're actually any more intuitive, but because there's many more tutorials and because there's more input from users and because in the community there's the the vernacular that those software uses is what gets perpetuated around and shared and talked about when you go into something like ardour it, it you can do just about anything with it and i actually for a couple of years used it exclusively to do all of my music production um once you learn it, it's absolutely fantastic. And if you talk to anybody that's an Ardour user, what they'll tell you is if you're, if you're just starting out, learn Jack and learn Ardour from the get-go because it will save you a lot of pain down the road. Yeah, I, I think it's cool, number one, that he's a solo metal band. So let me first ask, before we get into anything else, can you send us some links to your music because I'd love to hear it. And I'm hoping your band is named something like Five Finger Tucks Punch or something like you know <laughs> Linux-related, right? Something metal and Linux together. But um, Ardour apparently is a very amazing option. I am not somebody like Noah who develops that, but I did do some, or develops, you know, do studio work with music or anything along those lines. Um, but I did look into Ardour and just so people know, it's not necessarily free of cost. They have a monthly donation that uh, you have to use for the software. Not that that's a problem at all. I just want to mention it. And it's a dollar or more of a one-time payment monthly or $45 plus makes it um, you can basically do a one-time payment there to get the software as well. But looking at the screenshots and everything the software can do, it's worth 10, 20 times what it looks like they're asking for from what I can see. But I really appreciate this email because other people who are into music or wanting to uh, find professional options for their work, now they have another one to go take a look at and it runs on Linux. So we want to hear from you, our listeners. Send in your favorite Linux software or tip or trick. We would love to know what tools make your Linux experience amazing. Is there a specific topic that you'd like us to, to, to try and cover? Send your emails to comments at destinationlinux.org. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform available. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with their intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, everything you could ever want if you're trying to host a Linux service available at DigitalOcean.com. Now, you can get all of this plus access to the world-class customer support for as low as $5 per month. But wait, it gets better and there's more because you have access to their flexible pricing structure. You can fire up 
drop, their most powerful droplets, as Ryan would say, that's darn near free. Now, DigitalOcean has over 2,000 cloud agnostic tutorials. What does cloud agnostic mean? It means that you're able to spin it up on your home, inside of VirtualBox, inside of LibVirt-D. You can run your own hypervisor. You can run it up on DigitalOcean. And DigitalOcean is a great place to get started with it because the cost is so low. And we're going to give you one month free or a $50 credit. And you can access that by going to do.co slash DL. That's do.co slash DL. That's going to give you a $50 credit that you can use for the first month to try anything out you want to try on DigitalOcean. Again, get started on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit by going to do.co slash DL. And a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. Um, PC Linux OS has released a new version, 2019.06. So this is an independent distro. The most, a lot of distros out there, which also have to deal with the topic that we won't cover again because we all yeah, are based on Ubuntu. They base their stuff on Ubuntu. There's so many out there or uh, Debian. But in this case, this is an independent distro that was originally forked from Mandriva. Uh, they describe themselves as so cool, ice cubes are jealous. And they are very new user friendly. It uses the app packages and Synaptic for management of those packages through a GUI. I did get a chance to boot this up in a KVM utilizing a Fedora base image in, in KVM, which was Noah's suggestion because otherwise I wasn't able to get it to work generically with the Linux profile in KVM uh, to boot. It would basically boot and then you'd click the live CD and nothing would ever come up. But using the Fedora base, uh, settings, it did work. And I was able to check it out. And it looks really good. They have a KDE and a Mate version in there. I will mention there is no accessibility documentation that I was able to find, which is something that I think they need to fix very quickly. Uh, they do have forums available for interacting with the community. And you know the updates in this are basically a newer kernel um, and newer versions of the Mate and KDE desktop and updated versions of their apps out there. But it looked really cool to me because, and I don't know if any of you are familiar with it, it seems like they're a rolling distro as well. So they seem to get updates. If, if they're not rolling, they seem to get updates quite frequently to later kernels. I mean, mm -hmm. they, they don't, I don't think they're rolling, but I do think that they update more quickly than others, other distros. Um, as far as like the, like the actual releases that they make, um, those, those have like a year in between. But their main system, like that, that once it's released, they also do updates uh, in the gotcha. back end of the okay. core and stuff. So <laughs> kind of uh, like I a Fedora model, maybe. Uh, kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, they're 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 different in a, in many ways, but it's 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 similar in the sense of like they're they're cutting edge rather than bleeding edge rolling stuff. Uh, but it is really cool because of their their structure is different, very different. It's one of the the few distros that have something that are like that are, that it's an odd approach but it's an interesting approach nonetheless. And that is uh, the fact that they use apt and synaptic to do RPMs. So uh, th that is wow. kind of weird, but it's an interesting approach because apt does have support for RPM, but it's not the main focus. And RPMs usually have something else like DNF or right. you know, yum or something, or URPMI or something like that. So, it's definitely an interesting distribution to check out for that, if not the other reasons, but that alone is, is really interesting to see how that works. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I need to revisit again, because this was one of the distributions way back when I first started in about 2008, 2009, that I found 
it just worked. So I was able to get a bit of stability for three or four months while I, while I was looking around. Um, and it was interesting on that subject that won't be named for quite a few years, the installation of Steam was not supported. And unless you knew how to do it, there was hmm. nothing on there was nothing on the forums and that to, to help you out. So that was that was quite interesting. So I'll give this another look because yes, it did really work. And they've got they've got an interesting take as, as well on their like their ultimate PC Linux OS, where somebody has produced a six virtual screen already set up for you who don't want to decide. This is for web, this is for audio, this is for work, this is for play, this is so they've got six screens all set up with all the applications you want ready ready to use, which I found was quite unique if you're not good at organizing yourself. Very cool. This is one I definitely want to check out more and install on some actual bare bones hardware here to see uh, how much I like it because I'm always interested in these more cutting edge type distros lately. That's really mm -hmm. falls into the type of hardware and things that I like to run Linux on anyways. Yeah, just be careful because I do remember installing it a couple of years ago and it just went, okay, here's PC Linux OS. I don't care about any other distro. So nothing else appeared in Grub oh, gotcha. Raced apart all from that. So yeah. whether they overwrote my EFI or just don't bother running OS Prober or whatever it is that picks up the other distro. So just be a little careful of that if you're going to put it on real metal. But they've probably fixed it because they have come a long, long way. Nice. Unless you're living under a rock, then you probably are aware that Intel has had some struggles when it comes to performance this year. Um, Spectre, Meltdown, Zombie, all of these things have had severe impacts on Intel's ability to produce a processor that uh, performs very well. Well, thankfully, Linux kernel 5.3 is looking to add some code back in that's going to help increase the performance, at least in certain applications. In 5.3, they're looking to merge updated FSGS instruction sets. This will mean that you'll have better performance for Intel in context of switching for some user-level programs that are Java-based. Apparently, they have had many attempts in the past to patch some of these instruction sets prior to in prior kernels, but basically they keep coming up with issues, and so it never was really fully implemented. So this patch seems to have resolved a lot of those issues by segmenting registers uh, to skip certain unnecessary write processes and utilize and manage CPU-specific memory more efficiently. All of this sounds great uh, and also sounds like an entirely different language. So <laughs> you know your distros and get the latest kernel 5.3, and everything will work. So in other words, TLDR, get 5.3, things will run better, and Intel will suck less. Or uh, <laughs> take Ryan's advice and go Team Red. You know, there you go. Way. That's There's that's that, exactly yeah. it. I, I think this is good news uh, ultimately for Intel users because it seems like the last three big stories that have come out or more on Intel have been you're going to lose performance, you're going to lose more performance, and you're going to lose some more performance. Um, so I, I do want healthy competition out there. So while I want AMD to certainly grow in their market share to create that competition, I'm glad to see there is some work in the kernel to help bring some of that performance back uh, to Intel. Now, not everybody and certainly not all the programs you're going to use are going to benefit from this FSGS switch. Uh, switching capability, basically your your processor being able to access those uh, specific um, context switching for those commands, but at least you'll get a little more speed in some of your applications for that very expensive processor <laughs> that you put into your machine there. And it also shows that when you get these, I think the individual who wrote this particular patch is a hardware specialist, and I'm seeing a lot more of these kind of hardware specialized 
uh, developers writing for the kernel that there's so much more performance we can squeeze out on these later versions of a kernel and squeeze out in our hardware overall. So to me, it's really exciting because while this doesn't impact AMD directly, I'm excited to see so many hardware developers out there looking for ways to increase performance uh, in Linux because I love seeing the benchmarks when they run, you know, versus a Windows versus Linux and Windows... Linux is just the benchmark bars are way across the screen just in, in its superiority and in speed uh, and performance. I love seeing that type of stuff. So I hope it continues for um, Linux in the future. And of course, you're going to have to be on a later distro to get that 5.3 kernel. So and again, it just shows for me how fantastic the Linux um, community is, because here we have a hardware manufacturer who's got all of their problems with their um, hardware. And yet volunteers are stepping up, studying what's going wrong and coming up with legitimate ways of circumventing that performance hit and giving you back the processing power that you thought you were buying in, in, in the first place. And let's, let's face it, unless they're working for, for companies like you know um, Red Hat and maybe some of the Microsoft developers are doing it, I'm not sure. This is them giving their time for free to get this out to us, the users. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing. Yep, absolutely. So up next in the show is a new release from Shotcut. That's 19.06. And we, a couple of weeks ago, we talked, uh, or actually, yeah, two weeks ago, we had an interview with another developer for a video editor, and that was OpenShot. And that was pretty interesting. So if you haven't checked that out, go back and check that episode. But Shotcut is a very interesting application because the developers of, of Shotcut are also the developers of MLT, which is the framework that it does a lot of the uh, encoding and rendering and stuff that it works in conjunction with FFmpeg. Uh, so there's a <laughs> lot of cool stuff that Shotcut does, and their their workflow of Shotcut is also pretty interesting in the way that it's kind of it's very different. It's not it's not like the the normal nonlinear editors that people are used to. It has more of a kind of a natural feel. Like it's a powerful like imagine like a powerful iMovie. So like it, it it's it's simple once you know how to use it but it's also very powerful and can do a lot of things. So it's an interesting application, even though the default of layout is weird. I think that still the default layout of a video editor is the video player. So look into that part. Uh, but there's a lot of cool stuff that's being done with the latest version of Shotcut. And that is, for example, doing uh, improving this, the, how they do the saving files so they can have better cross-collaboration between editors, which is awesome because that's a... A very rarely rare thing that's being done, but it's a super powerful thing to do. They've also improved like blur features, reorganized the video filters to make it for faster navigation, which is very important because you know anytime I'm using a video editor and when they when they do things that are changing the navigation, it if it can't even if it is faster overall, it can be like a workflow breaking thing. But in this particular case, they actually improve the way it use it, how you use it. So that's really cool. And they've also done some improvements for like uh, having better resolution support for high DPI monitors and that kind of thing. So uh, Shotcut is really cool. And if you haven't checked it out, it's definitely worth doing so because there's a lot of cool features in it. And one of the things that I like is just the simplicity of how you edit stuff is... Like if you wanted to do a, tra a transition in other, other editors, you have to create, like make sure you have them right the right spot you want to do, then hit the transition effect and add the transition. Whereas Shotcut, you just cr drag the one clip, like hover over a little bit of the other clip, just drop it, and it creates the transition automatically. So that's a pretty cool approach, and I think that Shotcut is one of those 
um, really interesting things that, that because especially because of the MLT connection and how they have a, I'm pretty sure they have a like not only I know they have a rendering hardware accelerated and I think they have their actual like entire wow. interface too. Uh, but the shotcut is really cool. It's definitely worth checking out if you haven't. So do that. I love seeing the updates that we're getting across the board on all these different video editors and each one are significant improvements to the open source video editing, which like gaming continues to be a hang up for some people migrating from a desktop perspective fully to Linux. So seeing these type of changes and it get better because most people are only doing simple cuts, maybe some transitions, throw some titles in there. They're doing basic things. Um, So I see that there is room for multiple video editors like this in Linux to help people do, you know, the basic stuff. And then you have your professional items out there like Lightworks and Caden Live and others that are for more of the professional uh, side of editing. Um, So I think it's fantastic. And I love that they've also here been thinking about high DPI as well because they added some features in there. So if you're utilizing high DPI monitors, um, you're not going to have, you know, strange icon sizes or effects or things not looking right. So they're, they're kind of looking at uh, video editing um, workflows as a whole. And that's very good to see. Does it make me a horrible person if I say I'm not excited that we continue to have innovations in all these little tiny areas? And I would really like it if we could condense effort down to a single good video editor you monster you monster wondering if that's positive i I think that argument is uh both you know as there's a there's a valid point and invalid point to that in the sense that you know the argument of is there is the fragmentation creating a lot of effort that's wasted and you could argue yes you could also say that the fragmentation also creates innovation and you know like there's there's different pros and cons of having whether you if you have fragmentation you have innovation you also have um you know uh, you you have an, an issue of not getting everything that in a fast method. So yes and no. So I I I, I think that that is a it's a good point that, that you could you know it's it's valid to not be excited about it, but at the same time there are things that Shotcut's doing that's different from ways that uh, Open OpenShot does it, the ways that Caden Live does it, and uh, it's hard to say really because I like. I, I'm a big fan of both Shotcut and Caden Live, and they both work very differently. Uh, it, it's so I, I, it's I a different know. user purpose, right? And if you go down the aisle of a software store and you're looking at your, you know, Windows or Mac options and stuff, there is a lot of video editors out there. Mm-hmm. It's not like they've consolidated down to one. There are a couple that are most popular, obviously, uh, but there's a lot of fragmentation there. And I think that's because everybody expects something a little different. Some people want the easy to use interface. Some people want something that can they can make the next you know, Emmy award winning movie with. So I think there is some room for collaboration though, to your point, Noah, that we are missing in Linux. Certainly. I don't know that I want it all converged into one solution because sure. we hate that solution, but there definitely needs to be some more cross collaboration yeah. to take some of these features that were like, Oh, this one has high DPI support, but I hate its interface. And this one doesn't have that. So which one do I use? Basically you're always sacrificing no matter where you go. And I think that's where some collaboration there's some cool stuff you can take from Shotcut and put into Caden Live and improve at Caden Live as well, and that like that, that that they should actually collaborate and make sure that works in just in general. Uh, but that'd be really good. Uh, there's there are also like as far as fragmentation goes, I think the majority of have the majority of the con of the, the the discussion in general of that is both valid, good and bad. There are diff- there's value in both sides. However, 
Sinalara is a good example that fragmentation can become a monster because there are five different versions of just that one editor and they need to collaborate or something because that like when you have one part where OpenShot has some value with their uh, their blender animation stuff that's really cool shot cut has really cool effects and the rendering benefits uh kaden life has a really nice workflow that's very similar to the old versions of editors or not old versions but like the the main editors like premiere and stuff and and lightworks is super powerful in in its own right all these things are you know valuable there and they have you know they they definitely are competing at the same time of taking ideas from each other and then you have the Sinalara side where it's just five people competing against themselves on their own brand even so like they need to consolidate for sure uh, so i agree that there are some issues where it could go too far uh, but overall i think that it, it's i don't know actually because part of me wants the the collaboration to be more more often rather than the innovation because i'd be okay with if they took they took less innovation and had more stable offerings and more features in those offerings so i don't know i'm kind of leaning towards noah's now <laughs> i convinced myself to agree with noah good job <laughs> okay one sec i think i'm getting kicked out of my hotel oh that'd be interesting i am in fact being kicked out of my hotel so uh do we have uh, <laughs> well, this is awkward well, now you're going to see a little bit of a change up for those watching video. We have Noah has gone. He's left. Apparently, he was kicked out of his hotel because he was trying to um, get too many people, I guess, to transfer over to Linux. So they kicked him out and we had to bring in two new people. Uh, one of the perks of being a patron is we may call on you randomly to host the show with us. But we have two long term patrons here with us. Brilliant minds. Cubicle Nate, welcome. And Eric, welcome to the show. Thank, Thank you. you. I feel welcome. Nice. Awesome. So we're going to get in here and you guys just jump in anytime you want uh, into the stories here. And Zeb, you're going to kick us off with some new hardware news. I certainly am. And um, if you're in the uh, need of a new PC and you're one of these people who likes to keep everything neat and tidy and looking good, then Slimbooks have a new all-in-one. Um, the new all-in-one is named Apollo. It has a beautiful aluminium alloy body and some impressive specifications. It is wildly reminiscent of an Apple all-in-one that, but unlike Apple, you can actually keep updating the Linux desktop <laughs> as long as the hardware can run it. So the specs include uh, a 23.6-inch LCD IPS monitor that's had a special coating of retina effect so that it brings the colors out. Um, it's got an 8th gen Intel i5 or an i7 processor. You can have anything from 8 to 32 gig of RAM uh, and an SSD M2 of up to 1 terabyte. Uh, Intel graphics support 4K and the prices start at um, a modest 799 for an i5 or 899 for the um, i7. Now, as you can probably tell from the room behind me, I'm not really that fussed about clean aesthetic looks. Um, <laughs> I can understand why somebody would want this. Let's say you had this on your dining room table that you went and sat there occasionally. It would look um, very, very nice. I, I'm not quite sure about being able to upgrade it, though. All, all of these all-in-ones always have um, a limited upgrade. But being as you can have 8 or 32, hopefully you can add it 
after the fact if you wanted it a bit bigger. Um, and again, up to M2, take one out, put a new one in, and you might be able to upgrade it somewhat. But um, what do you guys think? I'm looking at the uh, at the page here, and I don't see. Did, did you mention? Does it come preloaded with a distribution, or does it just come as hardware? Ubuntu. Oh, it does have Ubuntu. Okay. Yeah. And then, so then they're I, certifying it as running on any Linux, or I think this one allows you to pick Ubuntu by default, but okay. um, you probably, obviously, if it's running Ubuntu, it's probably going to run most other distros as well. But what I think is really neat about this devices i was gifted an all-in-one now as a computer hardware guy that loves to build my own machines i would have otherwise never touched an all-in-one because i would have just built my own computer uh, so this was the first one that uh, i've ever utilized but it was perfect for my kids because they have their own rooms and my son you know when we give him computer time can go on there and play some minecraft or do different things like that but it doesn't take up a ton of space and you don't have cords and everything hanging all over the place. And it's just it's just easier to maintain. And when you have a tower uh, and, and things, you're going to have it sitting on carpet, which creates dust issues and all these things. But with this all-in-one, it's basically your monitor. You stick the monitor on top of a table, desk, or whatnot. You have a keyboard, mouse, and you're good to go. So I think they're really neat. I, this is really close to Apple's all-in-one. When you look at it, it is ridiculously yeah, they, close. So they, I, I wonder where they got the design they, from. Like it, that's yeah, how the same manufacturing is. line for sure. So, and it's pretty shameless. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty shameless, but you know, this is good hardware that you can get now with Linux without having to worry about losing as Zeb mentioned in there, losing the ability to update your operating system like you would with an Apple. So you get that same aesthetic because they make beautiful computers. There's no doubt about it. Um, you actually get ports in this one. So that's an advantage <laughs> you right there. You actually get ports in this one, yeah. Yeah, I mean, imagine that. And so I think this is really cool. And I agree so with you, Ryan. Sorry, go ahead, Nate. Let's say, so it's nothing like an Apple then if it comes with ports that you can use. <laughs> exactly. Nothing like so an Apple. What, what, I, what I like about it is, well, I think it's a great design uh, appearance-wise, but I, I don't see a VESA mount on the, uh, on the pictures. Do, did it say anything about that? Because a, a VESA mount, so I could actually mount it on the wall. I, I'm I'm specifically thinking about uh, I have a computer above my sink in the kitchen. It would actually be mm. one that does die. Uh, if this was like a touch screen and had a VESA mount, that would definitely go on in my kitchen. You know, keep my recipes and everything else on there. That'd be awesome. Nice. I, I don't know if yeah, it has I one or not. I haven't that. checked on that one. I think Ryan makes a really good point, though, about <clears throat> our people, when you consider a computer nowadays, do they want to deal with a desktop and all the wires and the different peripherals and the separate monitor and all of that? I think people really like this concept of an all-in-one. And uh, we'd actually been talking last night about, you know, the days of CRT monitors when it took up so much of your desk that you actually yeah. had a keyboard tray because you didn't have room for it. And to, to think now this is where we are with, you know, this, the being able to pack that much power into a small frame. And it sounds like it has a really nice monitor, so you could probably create some content on it. Yeah, it's a great option to have. It's fantastic that we see more and more manufacturers supporting Linux and giving us options to when we're buying hardware. To, to have something like yes, this. I agree. And looking at the actual website and looking at the way that that stand goes into the back of the Slim Book, no, there are no extra screws, no usual square block for a VESA amount. So it is what it is and, it's, and it stands how it stands. Yeah. I mean, for the most, most people who would get it all in one would probably would be fine with that anyway. But yeah, it would mm -hmm. be cool to have a VESA yeah. amount too. But I really like what Nate said. I never thought about that. That's just an excuse for me to put more computers around my house if I can find one with a vest. Oh, oh yeah, that's should... actually. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's actually it's one of the main computers I use is the one in the kitchen. All the YouTube, all the whatever, and uh, you know, touchscreen works great with Plasma, by the way. Nice. Nice. So also that something that works great with Plasma is the new ThinkPads are coming with Linux. Not necessarily Plasma, but, you know, in general. And they should, though. Uh, but this one, the Lenovo is refreshing their ThinkPad P laptops, and this time they will have the option to install Ubuntu from the default from the manufacturer. So that is awesome because the ThinkPad has been known for being the, you know, the quintessential laptop to go to for a lot of people, uh, and is, since the IBM days, and it's been still has that same reputation. And now having them actually putting Ubuntu by default as an option is awesome. They should just completely abandon Windows entirely, in my opinion, but I guess it wouldn't be a great business. <laughs> now, this is the first time, right, that ThinkPad has done this, because I know yes. ThinkPads work great with Linux, but Dell's had their Ubuntu options out there for a minute. A lot of people use ThinkPads in Linux, but this is the first time we're getting one that comes with Ubuntu, as far as I know. I think so. I, I think IBM did it a long time ago. Like, they tested it out, but I don't I don't know if they, like, how much they, they did it then, but I'm pretty sure they did have some kind of vibe there but it's the first time lenovo has done it for sure mm -hmm. and that's you know that's fantastic now this is a uh, it's not one of those you know cheap devices this is a competitor to the like, xps from dell and mm -hmm. that kind of thing and it's a it's like 1500 dollars or 1499 or something whatever you know close enough and uh, so it's a bit pricey but it's a professional laptop for like developers and stuff so like it is I, it'd be cool if they started like putting it all in the, down the line of all the thinkpads like the x series and stuff that'd be awesome uh, but this one is pretty cool, and it's really, I'm really happy to see that they're doing that because they're putting more attention and more effort into the Linux side and support. And, I, and this implies that they're going to have you know even better support if they're going to provide it by default. Mm -hmm. And you, do, you won't have to wait long because I'm sure Ryan's going to say, where's the love for Team Red? Because this machine is all Intel and NVIDIA. If they wanted too. my $1,500, which I would have ordered one. So there you go. Uh, ThinkPad, Lenovo, you could have had $1,500. Imagine what you could have done with all that money uh, from me. Uh, <laughs> configuration includes currently a ninth gen Intel processor. You can get up to 4K screen, which is awesome. And I'm seeing that come standard in a lot of the newer uh, laptops out there. So it's great to see 64 gigabytes of memory and NVIDIA graphics. So I would love to have seen a Ryzen mix up here for them. And that would have made me certainly probably... Um, find an excuse to buy it without my wife knowing. Uh, but in this case, I'm probably going to hold out a little bit because it is pricey in the pricey range of $14.99, but it's still killer specs. And I love that um, we have a ThinkPad now with Ubuntu or other Linux distros available to install from default. So this is very good news. And I know you, you brought it up, I don't know if it was the previous show or two shows ago, but you know, with Dell supporting some of their laptops as well. We're seeing major manufacturers again going back to that Slimbook example. You know, they mm -hmm. there is <clears throat> becoming more and more recognition of at least let's make our hardware run on it. We don't even have to necessarily support it out of the box. I think I'm starting to see manufacturers open to the idea of let's make the BIOS a little easier to use. Let's just you know use hardware that's more mainstream, and uh, it, it's a positive trend. And I hope we continue to see that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, like it's it's definitely nice to see that they're doing this, and and they're also doing it in this in the same kind of time frame that other other companies are jumping on, which is really good to see because it's like it just shows that a lot of people are talking about how the you know the, the Linux 
just desktop doesn't have much momentum but this is a great example of that if companies are going to be backing it this much they it definitely has momentum whether it's you know the optimal momentum that we all want you know that that's up in the air but that that's i think it really has a lot of a lot of potential i'm looking forward to it also makes me think you know people say oh the desktop's dying the desktop's dying but why would lenovo and dell and you know other companies be putting that much emphasis on linux on the desktop if it was dying so i think right. i think that's a, i think that's a garbage statement Yep, agree. I agree. So next up in the news, we talk about Raspberry Pis a lot on this show because they're number one, super inexpensive. There's endless products you can do with them. They are absolutely fantastic as an educational source for kids and adults to learn coding on, to do pretty much anything on. I have I think I'm up to four or five of these devices. One is, was in my car, though we had to steal the HDMI cord for Michael's presentation, so everybody didn't get to see it. But I think you got to see it, Michael uh, yeah, and, and Zeb. Uh, but they're just so amazing because you can stick them anywhere, and they're they're amazing the amount of power you can do with them. So I noticed there was another project that has come out recently, and that is the Enviro Plus. So this is created by, um, and I'm going to probably butcher this, but Pimeroni. And this is an envelope that comes with environmental sensors and a small LCD screen to allow you to do things like measure your indoor air quality, humidity, pressure, light and noise levels as well. And this is the coolest part to me is get another accessory, which is, I think, 25 bucks that does particle matter sensors, has particle matter sensors in it to measure outdoor air quality, which is a big deal for a lot of people, especially us geeks that probably have allergies. Um, so you you want these type of things, you know, in your home to show off the power of Linux, to be able to show your kids or other people the power of uh, the Raspberry Pi and all the various things that you can do with it. But now you're taking this kind of to a whole new level with Raspberry Pi by utilizing something that creates, because these sensors, if you go out and buy a, you don't use the Raspberry Pi, you just go out and buy a kit that does this, are hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Uh, so you can take this Raspberry Pi and basically for under $100, if you bought all the sensors and the Raspberry Pi, create that same thing uh, and be able to, you know, have a really cool thing to show people and also could be useful, again, if you have kids or yourself that suffer from allergy or air quality issues, and things this is just such a cool little tool mm -hmm. yeah it's not something i would expect on a raspberry pi but that, that's pretty awesome that they're doing it yep. yeah my only problem with something like this is i would then become obsessed with <laughs> have, have, have I got enough oxygen pumping into my room why is all this pollen flying around in the air well yeah. that two doors down stop burning his, his barbecue and all that sort of thing so you could uh, ocd you could become very overtaken by this but i'm just continually astounded by how people can come up with a, these little projects and use use it on the raspberry pi is there nothing this little beast can do that's yeah. the 40 pin connector you know the, the genius of it yeah. was we have this standard interface Here's our, you know, tiny little computer board that draws almost no power. You can put it anywhere and whatever you want to hook onto it. It's, it's, it is really revolutionized uh, projects, some of the things you can do with it. <clears throat> and Ryan, to your point, I just went on Amazon just to take a look. And yeah, even the cheapest air quality monitors, which they look pretty crappy around a hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. It looks like the better ones are in the two to $300 range. So yeah. if you had someone that had like asthma or, some sort of breathing problems mm -hmm. great way. You know, it, it, I agree with you, Zev. It is, it's just amazing. 
it it's like the it's like the Lego block of of technology. I love so that exactly. What, yeah. Perfect. What what I think is interesting about this is okay. So you have particulate matter, a way of, of analyzing particulate matter, right? So you could actually probably test the effectiveness of your filter over time on your furnace if you actually were to. I don't know how scalable this is, but you could probably then check. What is my is my furnace filter? Is it is it not doing what it says it's doing? Is it is it actually filtering? Is the filter actually wow. failing? Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of things you could really do with that. Interesting. I didn't even right. think about that. But how much are these filters? I don't know if you guys have noticed, but when I go out and buy these filters, these some of these three M ones are like forty, fifty bucks. Do you know right. how well it actually works? And right, this if you're like you're saying, Nate, you could potentially utilize this to see the effectiveness of those filters and whether it's worth spending the five dollars for the cheap recycled version or the fifty dollars for the high-end filter yeah that's awesome well yeah, that's really interesting and the intent of it is for air quality but you can imagine like nate saying someone coming up with a some other use case for well i need some way to test matter in air so hey here's this fifty dollar component you know it's software that i presume you could probably customize to some extent yep Wonderful, yeah. and it and it more than likely runs Linux, so that's good too. Yes, it does. Oh, of course. Why wouldn't it? Well, well, I, just, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to make a statement for them, but they should say that. <laughs> so, let's say. so this next article is really interesting. I wanted to have a discussion with everybody here, and I think it's really unique that we have some two new perspectives here to get your thoughts on this. So we were talking about pushing technology forward earlier in the episode and how sometimes doing that is a bad thing, especially when it's at the can affect your partners and other and other folks around and have a negative consequence. But the question here is, is it time to go back to Wayland? Is it time for us all to move to Wayland? And that's the question that I want to pose the group. Before I get into that specifically, I just want to get everyone in the audience caught up with Wayland. So we know distros like Fedora, Rel8, OpenSUSE, they have Wayland installed in some of their desktop environments, specifically known by default. And Ubuntu and others generally will continue to use by default, at least currently. Um, in those, uh, although you do have the option with the cogwheel to change it if you want. So it's not like Wayland's gone. You could, you could choose it, but by default is what most people stick with. I'm certain there's probably a huge percentage of people don't even know that cogwheel exists or what to do with it. So they leave whatever the, the distro comes with by default. But Wayland is intended to be a simpler replacement for X. It's supposed to be easier to develop and maintain. GNOME and KDE have Wayland implementations that are continuing to get better. Uh, Wayland is a protocol for compositors to talk to its clients, and there's a bunch of different things you can read about to understand how all that works, but just understand in the basics of it, the advantages of Wayland are slimmer, simpler, less screen tearing issues. You have better security because with X by design, any application can read output or send uh, input to any other application. So X is more susceptible to keyloggers and malware. Um, and currently, developers are having to maintain both Wayland and X. So is there a reason why we're not moving to Wayland yet? Is it ready to go? Should we start moving there? That's the question. Well, let, let's first of all get the Team Green uh, aspect out of the way. If you'd have asked me this a couple of years ago, I would have said, are you kidding me? This, this is vaporware. It's never going to get anywhere. Um, but I think you specifically, Ryan, mentioned to me that Fedora Gnome out of the box is Wayland. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I did a Fedora install, and I'm thinking, oh, here we go. Any minute now, my screen's going to stutter, my mouse is going to move uh, three seconds, and then it will shoot across the screen. And trying to get Fedora installed was difficult. And I thought, oh, this is good. And I went through the install process, and I, it was just running as smooth as it would do normally. Went into Fedora, installed the NVIDIA drivers, reboot. Oh, I'm back in X. Hmm. So even Fedora are still saying, yes, Wayland is there. Yes, we've made massive improvements, but we've noticed you've got an NVIDIA card. So we are going to automatically detect that and put you back into X mode. So whilst it has come on leaps and bounds, it's still not ready for mainstream yet, I don't think, because of the NVIDIA connection and because we've still got the majority of the – well, I I mean, I guess we must still be at the top of the tree, even though AMD and Intel are – uh, are catching up is it is it the majority of people are intel cards are, are AMD, i think the majority would be maybe. intel if you're looking at the the majority of a separate gpu then yeah it's probably it's without a doubt uh nvidia mm. currently likely yeah because amd has been making massive strides but mm. they haven't been doing that very long yeah so for like 10 years nvidia had like this open path to t- take domination and then after like for about only about four or five years has AMD actually been starting to battle back. Mm. And the other thing that was really strange as well is having installed my NVIDIA drivers, there was no way to hit that cog and go back to Wayland. So they weren't even offering it as a, as a potential to test it now that you've got the NVIDIA yeah. drivers. on. so yeah, it's, it's, they've still got a little bit to go, but if you've got team red and you're on Intel, yeah, definitely look at it. It's, it's good. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of cool stuff that's about that's Wayland specific stuff that is really cool. Like, there's some effects you can do and some window management in- interesting things. And Short overall, I think things specifically you're talking about that do different things with the windows and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, you can do all kinds of stuff. You can even for no apparent reason you can rotate any window you want and just like spin it. Or if you why, but you can. So that's kind of cool that you can do that, even though it's totally worthless. But uh, but there, there are some cool aspects. I mean, I could, I could see why you'd want to rotate it, but why you would want to spin it. I don't know. You could like, if you were a artist, I can. Had, it, right, exactly. exactly. It's the new exactly. cube. It's, Hey guys, look at this. We went through exactly. the cube now. Well, we're getting the cube back on Wayland too. So there you mm-hmm. go. Uh, but the, uh, the rotation thing is actually really cool for designers is if like with Krita, for example, if you rotate the canvas, it makes it easier to draw and stuff. So like that, that's kind of a, uh, an aspect to it. But overall, I think that, I agree with Zeb because there's no way for it to be a full push until everything is supported. And it's really just NVIDIA's fault because we're waiting for them to make proprietary stuff. And they spent years battling saying, we're not going to do it. We don't care about Wayland. We refuse. And then all the developers for KDE and Gnome were like, well, we don't care what you want. So if you don't want to do it, you have proprietary code. We can't do it. So we're not going to help you we're just going to let you die in the, the, the way in the, the wake of Wayland. And that is kind of worked in the sense that they are now working on EGL streams to work with Wayland. So there is some benefit at some point. I think that Wayland will be the, the it's definitely going to be the replacement. Mm-hmm. When, well, unlike the story we talked about earlier, you know, they've had, they've been developing this for eight years and they've, given plenty of notice to AMD and Intel and NVIDIA that this is the way we're going. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Fedora does what I believe Ubuntu in one of their releases, you probably know the version number, Michael, but they attempted to go to Wayland. Was it 16? 
1710. 1710. So they attempted to go to Wayland and as a default, but they also put a switcher in there that if it detected you at NVIDIA, it would attempt to switch you back. I believe when I talked to one of the devs over there at Ubuntu, I said, why don't you guys just keep that? They stated that it only worked some of the time. It wasn't something, <laughs> they were getting bug reports and things where it wasn't working perfectly. But at some point, because NVIDIA is the one holding us up here and they are working on getting Wayland, is it where Ubuntu and other distros should do what Fedora is doing, throw Wayland as default, let you choose if you want to go back because we're, I think we're holding Wayland back in a way because there's some of the stuff is not going to come out, the fixes and bugs that we need to address until users move to it in mass. Yeah. So yeah. without people moving to it in mass, we are holding it back. And just to add Zeb, I agree with you hundred percent. You can probably go back to DL episodes where I said, do not go to Wayland. It's not ready, but mm -hmm. in spending the last week with it, everything's changed. Gaming works fine. Um, I've tried both KDE and GNOME Wayland sessions in Fedora and OpenSUSE. There are, there is one major issue for my workflow that I could not get over. And that was OBS does not screen capture in Wayland. And I have to have OBS for the work that I do. So that needs to be overcome, but they do have screenshot tools that work now. Mm -hmm. uh, Flameshot specifically was one I tried, but spectacle for instance did not work. And there were times when things like the terminal would just no longer resize, like the ability to click and resize the terminal wouldn't happen. Now everything worked, but I couldn't resize the terminal to move it into a certain spot. So the little bugs and things here that are a little bit obnoxious, mm -hmm. but I'm still wanting to know, should we move there? Nate or Eric, any thoughts? Well, before we go to Nate, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm being surrounded here by team red. So guys, help me out. <laughs> are you team red or team green? Uh, green because there really wasn't can, a choice. I can I can turn your videos off if they give you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, green because that's really what's going into laptops at the moment. I'm still we're starting to see a push towards a AMD, and um, I think we'll be probably better for it on the mobile side of things. Uh, but when I bought this, I have a Dell XPS right now. It, it there just really weren't good AMD options. Either it was a desktop class AMD and some crazy gaming rig, or it was a, uh, you know, low ends, low power budget system. And I, I'm, I kind of want to be in the middle of that, right? I don't need like high end crazy hardware, but I'd like to have something that's capable if I want to do something mm -hmm. a little relaxing of it. So I don't that addresses the balance. So we're, 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 we're red and red and green and green. Nate, you have the deciding factor. What are you, my friend? So I, I'm running an, Intel AMD machine, so that that does kind of. And it's a laptop, a, a Dell laptop, in fact. So your team blue. Um, yeah, it's kind of a kind of a bluish green, a bluish red. I mean, bluish red. So it's more of a purple. It's purple. It's team purple. So as far as like the Wayland thing goes, so I'm sorry, I just don't really care yet. Um, I, I want. <laughs> it's fair. So, so for me, here's what matters to me. I, I want to use my computer and I want it to just work and I don't have to faff with it. Um, and just, you know, I want things just to, to work. So I do use Spectacle a lot and I, because uh, I take screenshots and I, I make annotations on it and I send it to, you know, coworkers, whatever. And then, um, and also I do use OBS every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't work, you know, that's kind of a deal breaker for me. But I have logged into Wayland uh, with, with Plasma and it actually, it looked great. I'm like, I don't notice the difference. Oh, spectacle doesn't work. Log out, and that was it. That was. I mean, but it looks like 
it looks like it, it works. I mean, I don't have screen tearing now with with X, but if the um, uh, the with the security is an issue, mm-hmm. so then I understand that. But um, but outside of that, no, it's um, I want it I want it to happen because it's progress in the right direction. I don't I don't disagree with any of the objectives. So as long as it works, I'm 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 all for it. Nice. This might be a, a unfair critic criticism or an unfair way to 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 state this but x is kind of a hack of a hack of a hack of a hack you know down the line totally fair you know and and it works it's amazing that it works as well as it does we do a lot of really advanced things on our systems that um you know if you look at the origins of x so wayland has its place it is the future and i think we need to get there i agree you know until we force it a little bit it probably won't happen and I'm encouraged to continue to see distributions pushing it and, and adopting it where they can. But I'm like Nate. I'm, I'm very pragmatic in the sense that unless it fits my needs and if, if, it, if it breaks anything that I need to use, then I can't use it, right? Mm-hmm. So as long as it's supporting the majority of people and maybe there's some corner cases where it's just not going to work, okay, great. And then you work on those things and you keep you know, moving the ball forward. But I think we're, it's high time that we, I mean, it's very mature at this point and we're, we're really at the stage where we should be considering, you know, we're, we're looking at upcoming LTS releases of things and stuff like that. And it's kind of like, are we going to move the ball in that direction? Are we going to go there and, and try to at least make it an option? Like you're saying, Ryan, you know, maybe people don't know the cog is there, but for the people who do or people who want to run Wayland and start providing meaningful feedback, is it okay for me as a user to do that at yeah. this point? Do you think the okay? So this is more of a devil's advocate thing because I think that Wayland is not ready, and because it's not ready, it shouldn't be. But what about the idea of chicken or the egg? Because we're doing the argument of if Wayland is not set by default and it's not experienced by users and experienced by people, is that going to convince them and force them to move on? Or if we don't, if we do that, would that be better for the overall thing to to get them to try it more often and get people to do bug reports and get and then therefore get more information and more data for the developers to fix and you know which and personally I think that I I would rather it be ready to go at least to a certain degree before we move move on. Mm-hmm. But I think that the argument that KDE and GNOME did as far as like we're we refuse to help you do your thing to Nvidia. And which was like basically would hurt Nvidia. So like they they chose to do and at least in the back end a chicken mm-hmm. and the egg thing. So like what what is it? What is your perspective for that kind of thing? Well, I think that they have to. And again, this is easy for me as a user to say, but probably incredibly difficult to um, implement. But like the fact that they give you a fallback if you're on Nvidia, they should still give me the option as a user and an Nvidia user to try. Wayland, because then I can report the bugs through. If they're not giving the average day-to-day user an ex- a chance to experience it, then how are they ever going to get reports to say what's broken and what's not what what's not working? Because you've got you know hundreds of thousands of people out there with all sorts of Nvidia cards from twenty years ago to two weeks ago. So until we get the option to try it. And I might only want to try it for a couple of days and say, oh, no, I need a machine. Let's go back to X, work for the rest. Of- oh, it's the weekend, right? Wayland, let's give it another go. Until you get that feedback, I don't think they're going to be able to fix it themselves because they haven't got enough resources, I don't believe. If they were to come out, <clears throat> any distribution were to just say, look, we want some testers. We feel like 
our implementation of Wayland or the work that we've done around this is good enough for most people in a day-to-day use case, I would be happy to jump in there and, and do the testing. I just, I don't, I don't get the sense that there's that sort of leadership where we're saying someone's taking charge of this and kind of saying like, this is the path forward. We really want to push this and we don't want to break things. So we're going to try to do this in a responsible way where we're calling on the community to pitch in and have enough variety of hardware, enough variety of use cases. And I think you could very safely move forward and move forward probably pretty quickly because Michael, I agree that maybe it's not fully baked, but it's pretty close at this point. Yeah, I think there's just a few things left. I highly encourage uh, our community to go check out Wayland. Look for that cogwheel on your login screen and just check it out and see if your workflow works with it. Because I think most individuals' workflow will function fine in Wayland. And if you do come across issue, don't just send us an email, but please open a bug report first, but then send us an email and let us know what your experience was if you try Wayland for a week like I did here and see what you think, because it's a lot more finished than I realized because the last time I checked Wayland, gaming was horrible, things were not working correctly, there were screen issues, there was all kinds of problems. And this time in trying Wayland on my laptop and the Beast, things were actually really considerably better to the point like Zeb said where I really didn't even there was a couple of times I would boot up my laptop and forget that I was in Wayland altogether you forget right up until you open OBS and then you remember um, now there is a plugin I think for OBS to work with Wayland it's some kind of patch thing or whatnot but I don't like that type of solution because the person doing the patch doesn't work and I've got to make content so OBS is probably one of the biggest holdups for me for screenshot tools, there are screenshot tools that work, so that's fine. I have an alternative, but there really is no good alternative to OBS. So that would be one of the major things I would need to see before is, I could is X Wayland something a, is that is that a thing? Like kind of a wedge, a stopgap to fix yeah, some is, of those there issues? Is a, there is a uh, yeah, sham for X Wayland that could work and uh, that would allow you to use X apps on Wayland. But the difference between like there are certain apps that don't really work well even with x Wayland because of what things that they need to do like screen capturing is one of those things mm-hmm. yep. so obs mm-hmm. i doubt would work very well with x Wayland. i haven't tested it in a while but i i do wouldn't expect it to be do, being because they they don't have any Wayland support officially in their project at all at the moment that i know of so ryan you used both uh, kde and gnome um did you i mean so obviously we're saying fedora is supporting Wayland on Gnome. Did did you notice that that was a more complete experience? Did you experience less issues versus the KDE Plasma? No, I was surprised at how well baked KDE's was. I expected okay. exactly what you said. I expected the Gnome version to work with, you know, work very well because they've been doing it for a long time and everybody seems to be throwing their weight behind it. But uh, the KDE's implementation of Wayland was the same. There was no differences in the issues I experienced. The problem with OBS is the same, uh, whichever one you're in. So uh, outside of the issues I mentioned, they were both very mm-hmm. solid. The KDE Plasma team, I, and I keep seeing it in their updates, which is kind of what one of the prompted me to go check it out, that they've been working on it. And I could tell they've done a ton of work to get ready for Wayland. So I thought maybe as a community, we could help both of them out by maybe just trying it and you know, filing some bugs and get them ready because I think it may be time for us to push to Wayland. But I agree with Michael also, there's 
certain things that just have to be there first. So if, if, if somebody can spare a couple of days or a week or a couple of hours just going through and testing and filing bug reports, maybe we can help them get there faster. Yeah, that'd be awesome. The community involvement would make, make it a lot easier to you know, get the bug reports and get make sure that, that everything is, is, is found that can be found before they actually ship it, per, uh, you know, production side. And uh, I think that Wayland has a ton of potential and there's a lot of cool stuff in it. And I want them, I want it to be ready to go. And as soon as it is, I will be using it. And I have tried it on Plasma. And for like the interesting thing about Plasma, because the people are talking about how, like your examples of GNOME has been referring to Wayland for a long time and they went default to for a long time. And Plasma doesn't actually have a preference of which one is default or what or not, but they did put a lot of effort in on like the last three uh, releases of Plasma is heavily focused on making Wayland work. So that's why the, if you just by recently trying it out, you would see like there's a lot of improvements from it. So because they spent a lot of time working on it. And I think that's one of the things that makes the work done on Wayland so appealing is because the the DEs are working on that, but there are other aspects where there's some, or even like Sway, like they've done a lot of good work mm -hmm. on, on for Sway on yeah. Wayland, but there's a few DEs that don't have any support at all. So I think there's also that that hiccup there too. So you know, I want Wayland to become the thing soon as possible, but you know, we we as a community need to like you know, rally, rally behind it and just test it out so I can get to that point. So in that spirit, uh, let me, let me just say for anyone that's listening to this, Michael, Ryan, whoever might know. So if I test this on KD plasma or if I test this on GNOME or if I test it on whatever, am I filing a bug to the desktop environment themselves or the distribution, or do you have any uh, guidance on maybe how we would do typically, that? I would suggest going to the, dist the, the, the DE and also distribution, depending on what the issue is. Like, it, it's really hard to tell exactly, depending on what you have an experience with as far as what the bug is. But more than likely, the thing that you're going to be interacting with the most will be the DE and then the distribution and then Wayland. So okay. I would say DE first and then, you know, go down the tree. Okay. Okay, moving on to some gaming news. And um, I was quite surprised that... Uh, Ryan gave me this particular article because I know it's about a company that's dear to his heart. So <laughs> Google Stadia have come up with some pricing Savage. and structure at last. So back at GDC 2019, Google unveiled Stadia as their cloud gaming service powered by Linux, AMD graphics, which will please him and using Vulkan API. So highlights of today's uh, event included um 35 now is that i don't know if that's megabits megabytes per second megabits uh, yep for 4k at 60 hdr video with 5.1 surround sound 10 megabits per second uh, per second connection speed is the minimum for 1080p gaming uh baldur's gate 3 will be available at launch on stadia and the pricing is going to be Stadia Pro will be available at $9.99 per month for the highest quality 4K gaming experience. Stadia Founders Edition will include a Chromecast Ultra, a limited edition Stadia controller, and three months of Stadia Pro service. Um, but I haven't said... How I much think that, that price is one ninety nine for that pro. I didn't put it in there, but I think it's mm -hmm. like one ninety nine or something like that. Okay, right around there, one seventy nine. I think. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Carry on. One one seventy nine. You thought? Yeah. 
I, I believe so. I, I look. I'm looking right now. It's 129 plus free shipping. There you go. Oh. We finally nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, uh, and then you've got the most games will be available to buy as opposed to rent with flat monthly fees. Uh, the Stadia controller is priced at $69. Stadia is launching in November. Um, so, I would, I would, well, certainly myself and Ryan have got gaming rigs. So, would would this be of interest to anybody? So let's open it up first of all to Michael, um, Cubicle Nate, and Eric. Is this something that you would use maybe because your own machine can't run that powerful? You're muted, Michael. So I can run whatever games I want now that I have a new Vegas 64. Well, yeah. relatively new, new to me. Uh, and uh, it is, uh, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to play games now. And I, so I like that part. So I don't really necessarily need this, but I am interested in the, the technology behind it because mm-hmm. just as a tech nerd and tech enthusiast, this stuff is interesting. Like the, 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 the compression algorithm that they're doing to make sure that you can get uh, 1080p quality with just 10 megabit is ridiculous like that that is and also the 4k at 35 megabit like that is an interesting thing there's like people who are who uh because they're they're focusing on trying to get as much compressed as possible they're trying to get as many people as possible to be able to play the games and still have a decent experience and that's interesting and also the ability to go from one computer to another and have the same state of the game without you know doing any saves or whatever there's Mm -hmm. there's really cool concepts and then it's google so i don't care (laughs) (laughs) So part of me is like, and I'd say 60% of me is really interested in all of the, the technology behind it. And then the Google just kind of taints it a little bit. So mm-hmm. I probably won't get it anyway, but just for principle, but if it wasn't Google, I would definitely want to play with it. I'm going to try it. I really am. There's a couple things that, so I right, have to kick him off now. i I can agree with michael on just from a technical perspective so game streaming to me has been sort of a no-brainer for a lot of years and there just hasn't been much traction for it so to have someone like google behind it yes it's google i know fundamentally a lot of people don't like that but they have the infrastructure to be able to actually pump out these games and so when i think of things like um I might have a machine like my machine now is a 970 Nvidia card. It can play most games fine. Do I care enough to upgrade to a newer card, newer machine? Because I probably need a new processor. I just it starts to it makes me think they're going to be able to do things in the cloud on these servers in a way and just to ship that image to me and allow me to interact with it in a way that I'm probably not going to be able to afford or want to do on my own at home. And I think the other thing is this may, something like this may provide a more uh, well-defined environment for the developers to work on games. Like let's say Stadia has a standard, right? And they can say, we support these ray tracing effects. We support whatever, you know, whatever their set of characteristics are, then maybe it's easier for a developer to build to that instead of the current climate, which is everybody has everything different. Um, and in some cases, unless you have that high-end hardware, you're really not getting the best experience with the game. Um, I already 
uh, do some streaming. So I have that, that machine I mentioned, and I'm using a, a Moonlight, which is a NVIDIA Shield kind of emulator, where I can stream that to my PC, and that works really well, <clears throat> or to my laptop. And so I, I already am a fan of the idea of streaming. So I, I think this could be, we'll see, have to, we'll have to see if it gets traction. The one thing that I really don't agree with, and I know people have already made the counter argument to this, is if you buy that game on Stadia, it lives on Stadia. And the only way yeah. you'll ever be able to play it is on Stadia. Yeah, I don't like that. Uh, there are some, There is a little bit of a nuance that's not, it's not that horrible, but at the same time, it's horrible because you don't own it. So yeah, Nate, I'm curious what copy. you're going to say about this, and then I'm going to bring the fire afterwards. So go ahead. <laughs> okay, so I, I will agree that I'm fascinated by the technology. I think it's a neat technology, and I and I do hope that that's pursued just for the sake of pursuing technology. However, I'm uh, I'm I'm more into like owning my games. So nice. he's holding a so my, cartridge up, which yeah, is that's awesome. Yeah. So. For, for me, it's like, you know, I can play, I played this when I was a kid and then I can play this with my kids and I'm not spending $9.99 a month to be able to play it. So then I would go into like, what are the economics for me? So what is that costing me per year to be able to play games that I, I've already purchased? Because, I mean, do, if you purchase it, is it, do you own it? You know, there's no subscription fee. You know, like, what, what is it? What is it? This is yes. The, the way that Google Stadia works is that if you, you have to, you get a 999 monthly fee to get the the get to the free games but not obviously not free games not free. but they they also have a thing where you buy these games and if you choose to buy the game you can then stop paying that monthly fee and use the free version which not is not going to be in november it's going to come out sometime next year once that's out you can play the games on stadia through that you purchased regardless if you have an account for the premium or not but at the same time, you do not really own that game. It is still on Stadia's, and you can't get a copy or whatever. The other so, thing so is the, that the sorry, just one more clarification on that. So the nine ninety nine also opens up the I think four K streaming and sixty HDR, yes. whereas the free is not four K. Correct. Well, I, I can barely see in ten eighty p, so I don't know how I'm going to see in four K. <laughs> so um, the, the the other thing too is <laughs> the other thing too is like um, I I know this is you know, never happens, but sometimes internet services shut down. So if I go and I buy something, I, I know it sounds crazy. Yeah, but Google would never shut anything down. No, not like, not like right. Wave no. or Google Plus or any. Fake news. You're right. So, so I guess never mind. But so should it shut down? <laughs> would um, would that? I mean, that I have lost my my investment. You know, like yeah. again, not not to hold up this old eight bit thing. But I, you know, I can play this whenever I want, so long as I blow on this end of it, and you know, and and I have you know Pixies wall to power it. So I, I know I, I'm just, I really want to own my games, and I think Steam is a kind of a good mixture because I can actually I have the games locally on my machine, so I don't need internet connection to play my games locally. But I just, you know, I, I know I, I kind of think, and maybe maybe I'm a this is an old man get off my lawn moment, but <laughs> if, if my game requires internet, it's not a good game. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to I, play it whenever I, I'm kind I of a, you know, you know, sometimes I want to, you know, be alone. One other thought <laughs> that I had was the size of games nowadays. So I actually had this conversation this morning. I don't play the same game all the time. You know, I may want to play it every now and then. And modern games are 50, 60, 70 gigabytes of space. Mm -hmm. 
not only does it take a long time to download, but then it's the space to store it. And I know storage is cheaper than it's ever been, but you know, you pile up 10 games and all of a sudden you've filled up a 500 gig hard drive. And so there is something also to be kind of said of like the tasting a game and, and, and being able to play it. So I was an origin subscriber for a while with EA mm -hmm. and you could play a lot of their titles just by virtue of being subscribed to that service, which, you know, I, at, at the time I thought if I could stream these without having to download the whole thing, just to see if I like it, because I'm drive 10 minutes and be like, oh, this just isn't for me. Um, and, and I just spent four hours downloading it versus just being able to play it very quickly. So I, again, I, it's, I think it's a mixed bag, but I think it also opens the door for other companies. Maybe there's enough anti-Google sentiment here that other companies say, well, we can launch a similar service on you know, AWS or some other provider or build our own infrastructure. So it, sure. it, that, that encourages me that there's at least interest in it and that people are talking about it. Like Google didn't announce it and everyone went, oh, whatever. Like here we are actually having a discussion about it. Can I, can, I, can I go now? Can I, can I go? I was going to say, just so that we can keep this family friendly. Michael, the next game that you were going to review. <laughs> this is nice. a pile of human garbage of a technology. <laughs> All right, let me start by that. Hold um, on to your hats. Now, I was very, very excited that AMD is being used on the back end. I have waited and watched to see where this is going to go. And because from a technology standpoint, somebody who's a technologist, I want to see the latest and greatest stuff. I think the idea of streaming games is definitely no brainer. You're going to see PlayStation, Sony do this. You're going to see Microsoft do this. You're going to see Nintendo do this. You're going to see everybody go this direction. This is the future, I believe, for a lot of people on gaming. Now, not everybody, when I say future, I don't mean it's going to replace desktops or gaming machines or consoles. It's not going to happen at least not anytime soon, because many people have caps on their internet. They don't have speeds mm -hmm. that can keep up with that. And it's just not, you know, we have a huge digital divide issue in the United States itself where people don't have access to basic broadband level speed internet out there. So um, this is not a solution for most people, but this is a solution for some. And I hate that it's Google because number one, they're what you guys touched on. There's absolutely zero reliability with any Google service. If it gets bored or they don't make enough money, they'll kill it off and they won't care what happens. So you lose your investment there. I would much rather go with something like an Xbox or Sony or PlayStation or somebody who has, you know, the ability to create hardware like this will also use AMD Sega. and will stay in behind their product much longer than there. Um, you know, Besides that, the idea of having Google hardware attached to my TV is probably the scariest part of this whole package. <laughs> yeah. They want to basically sell you that this pro model, which I think is an attempt of them to kind of gauge how popular this thing's going to be. And also a really clever way of getting a bunch of Chromecasts attached to people's computers, which we all know those things come with Google voice services that listen and do all of the privacy metadata grabbing junk that Google tends to love to do. And they want everybody to go out there and attach this thing to their TV. And now you're getting Google into your living room, whether you wanted them there or not. I just have, in, in, normally I will buy this equipment much like I did the Mac just to test it out, just to try things. 
but this thing won't come anywhere near my home. I don't want anything related to them, not until Google changes their ways. And I think they're far, far, far from doing that. But Forever. I think it's a cool technology and I really can't wait to see what Microsoft and Sony come out with um, that combines a physical console with the ability to do the streaming because to me, that's where the future's at. I agree with that and pretty much all of that. I do think that, that it's interesting is that Microsoft announced that they're making a partnership with Sony to do Sony's cloud stuff for PlayStation. So there's a lot of potential there that they're going to do use Azure to do a uh, like a, like a competitor. If they do a competitor that works with both PlayStation and Xbox, that would be very interesting. And mm-hmm. while um, uh, I don't really have anything against Sony specifically in terms of like their proprietary approach, because I mean. They they've always been doing that, and they've uh, they did, and they but they also put a lot of effort into de- creating new formats like Blu-ray and that kind of thing. Uh, so there's a lot of like, there, but there's a lot of stuff with Microsoft where I also don't trust them. But at the same time, which which is which is the worst which of the evil options? Is better, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because like if you look at it, all like all the companies that have the infrastructure to do this kind of thing, I don't really want any of them doing it because there's none of them have like any kind of like good track record. But at the same time, it is worth noting that the Google Stadia backend stuff it has a lot of potential to benefit Linux too, because it's being powered by Debian. That's a good point. And it's being powered by AMD, so the open source aspects, and it also has the benefit of being heavily focused on Vulkan. So even if Stadia fails, which it may or may not, I don't know, but even if it does the push that they're push, making developers focus on Vulkan has a high likelihood that that will benefit Linux in general just because having support on Stadia basically kind of means you have support on Linux. So, But uh, next up in the show is an, a game that is both silly and really interesting, and I want to try it out. Yes. And it is... It's actually come out. It has is out recently, and I think it might be on sale right now. But by the time it's on this show is aired, it might not be. Um, but the, the this is a game called Lovely Planet Two. It is a first person shooter that is adorable, to say the least. It's it's kind of silly, but yeah. at the same time, Nintendo that's awesome in a way. Yeah, it feels it feels like a it kind of feels like a a, a cute style Turok. There you sort go. Of. Yeah, Turok yeah. without any violence. Like you can yeah. play this and with no dinosaurs. And, yeah, and no dinosaurs <laughs> but, and yeah. Yeah, but it's it's and it looks it looks really kind of fun. And they also have this is like the sequel to their uh, previous game called Gun Ballet, which is <laughs> <laughs> it's just I, I love that idea of that game anyway. So I haven't even played that, but I kind of want to play that now. Uh, but Lovely Planet Two is a first-person shooter that has uh, like it's it's very kid-friendly and all that kind of thing. So uh, it's I think it's be worth checking out, and I, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get it anyway, just because I want to play it because it seems like a ridiculous, silly game, and I like those. Yeah, this came from a listener actually. They sent us an email from Douglas, and he said, "Hey, you've got to check this thing out." And you know, as somebody with kids, it is hard to find games these days that are not over-the-top violent that they want to play, that their friends are playing, that you could still have some fun with. They want to shoot weapons and stuff at things. That's fun in a game. Kids would love Rocket League. Yeah, no. Um, okay. So what <laughs> my son actually loves Rocket League because of the Batman vehicle specifically. <laughs> he can't play it, so I just put it in like an open map. You know, he can't play it well, like in a tournament thing yet, but he loves just moving around the map with the Batmobile. 
Nice. But this is a great first-person shooter for kids because, and adults for that matter, it's just very Nintendo family-friendly. Like it's got, it sounds like a great soundtrack. And Zeb, you'll be happy to know it has 3D graphics, so there's no pixelated graphics here. Although they're also not anything to write home about. At the I mean, they're, they're heavily stylized. You can yeah. tell it's like it's it's trying to be like modern, but still have the feel of the old yeah. retro style. Well, before Michael started, I was going to ask him what has he done with the real with the real Ryan, because this <laughs> this 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 game has got my name written all over it to review. Because while you were having your little Google rant on Stadia, I was watching the video, and no, 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 no. no. What is this? So yeah, it's not pixelated, but it's not for me. Sorry. No, I bought it. You bought it? I just bought <laughs> Good it. job, yeah. mate. Nice. <laughs> nice. There wasn't a place I could put, I could uh, fill in Destination Linux, but um, they sent me. But yeah, no, I, I bought it because I think that my daughter will really like this and it could be a lot of fun for us to play in the living room. Absolutely. Nice. There you go. So next up is our software spotlight. And this week I, tr- I chose Xernal Plus Plus. That's journal with an X, basically. Um, this is for handwritten notes and PDF annotation apps. So Michael, you and me have been doing some stuff and we've had to mess with and sending and getting signatures on PDF mm-hmm. documents and all these various business things. And it's not easy. A lot of people go out there and they'll kind of take a picture of their signature and try to paste it in as a, you know, into the documents and yep. all kinds of different things. It's PDF, you got to extract the PDF and you got to re-merge yeah. it and all that other stuff. So external takes care of that for you because it allows you to do handwritten notes and annotate on top of a PDF. Part of that annotation could be drawing a signature with your mouse or with a Wacom tablet or anything else and having right. it right there. So you could sign the document in the tool send it right there as a PDF back to bank to whomever you're doing business with and you're done. So I thought this was just such a cool app and something, you know, I've been looking for uh, to easily be able to annotate PDF documents and wanted to share with the community there. Yeah. I mean, that's really cool. Cause also the, the Zernal, I've actually used Zernal a long time ago and it, the, I stopped using it because I'm pretty sure it was deprecated or at least not deprecated, but unmaintained for a while. And when you put this in there, it said Zernal Plus Plus, like, wait, it's back. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, like, that's really great to see, too. And another thing that's pretty cool is our tips and trick trick of the week, and that is Cylon Arch Maintenance Tool. Uh, one complaint you hear besides the install process, mostly the install process of Arch, is the maintenance and updating uh, that you, you can use that you, it kind of becomes tedious and you have to do it all the time and you have to stay up to date with it and you have to keep, you know, pay attention to when there's an update because... If you don't have a notifier, when will the updates be? All the time, every day. Uh, <laughs> so, but thankfully, the community has developed a solution tool called Cylon, which I love the name of it. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, good job with the name. <laughs> so, uh, essentially, it's a command line tool that has an easy to use uh, menu for performing updates and software packages and the uh, updating the OS and even performance backups tools like using uh, rsync. So this is a pretty cool tool. And it's, it's simple to use for uh, on, in Arch. So if you are using Arch, definitely check it out. Uh, I, I think it's in Curses, right? Is, it, is that what it's based on? Like the, the UI? Perhaps, I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure if it is, but it, it kind of looks like it in Curses. But one of the best features is that it also lists the commands it's using as you select them. So you actually it kind of teaches you how to use Arch and how to make these updates as you go and use it. So mm-hmm. that is a really awesome feature. I just hope that 
when they get to the section where it's actually updating, it doesn't have a little star, 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 but just a bar of X's going backwards and forwards across the screen. <laughs> like that the would be fun. On, yeah, nice. that would that would be. Oh a yeah, nice like Battlestar Galactica thing. I'm, yeah, I'm finally so with you there, Dave. Good reference. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. you got there. You got there eventually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if they, if and if it use and if you use fish, it colors it and makes the X red. There you <laughs> go. There you go. I would love it. Nice. Well, a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. We love our patrons and Kofi supporters, so I just want to give a special shout out for your support. We do a live show for our patrons, so come and join if you want to be a part of the show. And in Nate and Eric's uh, case, they literally became a part of the show. Um, so you can join for just $1, and that's darn near free. So we also, I just want to take Noah's part here and say that we have Kofi. This is where he would say we have Kofi and Patreon, but you're not a Kofi if you're a patron. And patron. He said coffee as well. Yeah, coffee. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but there will be a link in the show notes. If, you're, if you want to uh, support the show using coffee or Kofi, you can do that as well and get unedited versions of the show. Watch it live. And of course, our sincere gratitude. Absolutely. And as we said earlier on in the show, after the email section, please get back to us and let us know what you think or ask any burning question via numerous methods. Uh, we have the email comments at destinationlinux.org. We have our Telegram group, Discord, Twitter, Mastodon, and other ways that you can find us on our website at destinationlinux.org forward slash contact. So please keep those comments coming and the questions coming because it does bring up some interesting topics that then we, we can then have a discussion about on the show. Yeah. And if you want some more content there, the fun doesn't stop here. We also have our own channels that you can check out. So for example, Ryan, you can go, he can hey, fill your brains with hardware, software, and all things Linux at youtube.com slash DOS geek. Oh, yeah. You can find Zeb driving crazy speeds and moving aside caravans that get in his way on his YouTube streams at youtube.com slash Zebedee boss. You can find my content at tuxdigital.com where I do an in-depth weekly Linux GNU's show uh, this week in Linux and other Linux related content. And you can also find Noah's content at Ask Noah Show, where he takes uh, it's a weekly talk radio show that happens every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central, Central, where he takes calls in, where you can have asking questions about business, Linux, and tech, and all kinds of stuff. So uh, be sure to check that out. And also be sure to like that smash button and share the show on social media. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. And th thanks, Nate and Eric, for yes. helping us oh, out. You guys rocked, man. Thank you. Out, of thank nowhere. You out of nowhere. Well done. Now people are going to be like, it must be easy. Two people just popped in and were able to do the show. <laughs> we're seasoned veterans. You are seasoned veterans. You're, yeah, seasoned patrons. Can you now say, I mean, you, you're going to see yourself and you do every week the amount of work that Michael has to do in editing all of this. But now you've got astonishing insight into the amount of work and effort that ryan puts in in the background to put these documents together for us oh so yeah it's just awesome the work that those two guys put in so you. well when you when you offered you know hey do you want to come on i was like are, there are notes right because i'd really <laughs> see them <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no, uh this is this is awesome and it's amazing that we were able to pull this out. We were typing each other. Do you think anybody would be willing to jump in last second sure. and help us with this? And that was awesome that you guys were able to do that. So appreciate yeah. it. That was awesome. Okay, that's the that's the thumbnail. <laughs>
I like how somebody commented, why do your thumbnails have nothing to do with the episode? Because <laughs> <laughs> we always hold up random crap. You know what we should do? We should start now. We should start doing is making subtle little hints about like how much thought we put into the thumbnails to, to like tie back into the episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See what we will come up with. Like nobody will ever guess how Keurig's tie into this episode, but there is a tie for sure. <laughs> <laughs>